listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, your base for the lowdown on acapella. At the top of the hour this hour, Boston Sings is quickly approaching and will take place in Somerville, Massachusetts from April 3rd through the 5th. And their headliner will be a very special appearance by Fork out of Finland. This group, having been together for two decades, has announced their retirement and will no longer be touring after May 27th. So this will be their last trip to the United States, and you can catch them at Boss 2020. Don't miss this one-of-a-kind, magnificent show. Boss will also feature educator Dr. Justin John Moniz, the Associate Director of Vocal Pedagogy and Music Assistant Professor of Vocal Performance at NYU Steinhardt School and Voice Center. Learn more at bostonsings.com. Hello, Acaville fans, and welcome to episode 100 of Tacapella. <laughs> I am one half of your hosting dynamic duo, John Lampus. And I am the other half, Brian Alexander. You almost said the other one there, didn't you? And I, then you I was kinda, close. You couldn't decide <laughs> mid-words, so we got a little above. You know, it was such a big moment, I didn't know which way I wanted to go with that. Well, so. the, for our biggest episode ever, the topic, of course, is what's on everyone's minds in the acapella community, Baby Yoda. That's really, I think, at the <laughs> forefront of the consciousness of our community right now. Brian, thoughts on Baby Yoda? You know what? It's pretty cute, but I'll be honest. I have yet to see a single episode. Because you haven't used my Disney Plus password, which I have I, offered. Just saying. Hey, man, I'm taking over your account, and I'm watching every single episode. You so. say that, and then you're gonna watch like those old, really weird Disney movies, like the one about <laughs> like a, a talking squirrel and the Shaggy Dog and all that stuff, and be like, mm, all right, Escape that's from not Witch Mountain. Yeah, that's Return right. to Witch Mountain. <laughs> I'm really just gonna hijack your account so I can watch all the old Disney shows. You know, Lizzie McGuire, Proud Family, all the okay, good okay stuff. Proud Family. They're com- is coming back actually that's going to be great but uh folks you might have just heard a voice right there and our guest is none other we we got deke sharon guys it's deke freaking sharon he's here and I'm we have here. confirmed it is the deke sharon the acapella one i was talking before <laughs> on before we went to air with brian i was like what if this is, De- is like a random deke sharon from like topeka kansas who's just like <laughs> runs like a car dealership and hello this is, guys and- it's just yeah. like oh. it's my pleasure to be here. We're talking hubcaps, right? Isn't this the <laughs> hubcap podcast? I've I mean, that would. Fan. Is there much to say about hubcaps though? Like, it can, oh, I'm I, sure I feel... that people have spoken for two hours. There might be an entire hubcap. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no doubt spinning rims, the whole thing. Come on, I'm like I, they're experts on everything. So there's I'm a sure godfather there's a... of hubcaps out there <laughs> who is sure. listening no to question. this and offended. That I, I even suggested the notion on. that people don't really talk about hubcaps, but we'll do we'll do a riff off and a hubcap acapella riff off. <laughs> but we're here talking about it. Brian's here, Deke's here. Okay, guys, this is episode one hundred. When I started the show f- almost four years ago, I was always like, "Well, if we get to one hundred, it has to be Deke, right?" And I did not think oh, yeah. I w- we would get here. Then Brian came on, and I was like, "Oh, maybe we'll get there." And now we're here, Deke. How you doing? I'm doing great. It is a pleasure to be on your show. I, you know, I'm glad to help you like turn over the odometer to the, yeah. to the big one double O. Oh, That's it's, a great way to put it. It's, <laughs> it's a good feeling. So our first question that we have, you're Deke Sharon. What's that like? So it's probably different than you guys think, because I'm really literally just an acapella nerd. I'm, but like I'm acapella nerd zero, like patient zero. <laughs> Not like there weren't other people who loved acapella before me, but 
I was just a guy who sang in, in, in choir in high school and had a little barbershop quartet and started learning how to arrange so I could do other styles of music and then joined the Tufts Beelzebubs and just like completely geeked out about this stuff. In fact, I had to audition for the Bubs three times, not because I wasn't talented enough. Frankly, I had a, a perfect audition, not to be too snotty about it, but, <laughs> but I mean, I say, say, I mean, whatever, whatever. But uh, I was just, the, the words they used were overzealous. I mean, the character mm-hmm. Benji in the movie Pitch Perfect is based on me, to be perfectly honest. So, uh, yeah, I had no Star Wars posters or uh, I don't do magic tricks, but all that acapella nerd dumb as me. So what's it like to have my dreams come true and to now have an entire community of like-minded people who love this and love singing and to be able to spend my life sharing this music and whatever? It's unbelievable. And and the thing is, if Pitch Perfect never happened and the second never happened, I'd still be doing this. I'd still be going around mm-hmm. to choirs and traveling and singing and, and trying to connect with people. And I'd still have a publishing company. I'd still put on festivals. I mean, it would all be the same. It would just be on a smaller level. And I looked at my life before all that stuff happened and I said, I'm living my dream. This is exactly what I wanted to do. So that's just me. And I'll say one other thing. So I think when people become uh, successful, famous, whatever you want to say, when they're um, children, it ruins their life because they've kind of peaked early mm-hmm. and then they're miserable mm-hmm. the rest of the time. When it happens during their 20s, I think they think like, oh, well, I'm really talented. I really like, you know, deserve this because I, you know, that kind of a person. When it happens in their 30s, it's like, well, I worked hard and then I earned mm-hmm. it or whatever. When it happens in your 40s, it's just hilarious. Just the whole thing is like, you're you just like, you look at it all and you're like, it's a completely random, whimsical, capricious joke. Like the fact that mm-hmm. I'm successful or people know who I am or I have a Wikipedia page, like I could just as easily not, or it could be somebody else or whatever. So I don't take any of it for granted. And I most certainly don't think like, oh, well, I'm the godfather. No, I just <laughs> like it when I was, you know, back when I was in the house shacks before I, before I had to leave, got too busy. The, the guys in the group, once that came out and the book Pitch Perfect or whatever, they teased me incessantly about it. They'd call me like Padre or uh, Pops, you know, Ooh. one of them got Ooh. me like a Pops Padre's kind of hip, but Pops, that's, that's, <laughs> that's crossing the line a little yeah, bit. Yeah, oh no, they, they gave me a hard time all the time. So anyway, uh, all of this is to say I'm just the same as everyone else, just a little older, a little grayer. Well said. I think that's hilarious. Just one of the things you mentioned earlier about being an acapella nerd. It's funny because a lot of the people that I run in circles with in acapella are just like, you know, I'm that I'm an acapella nerd. I'm into this and stuff. And now we're talking to the original acapella nerd. And that makes it a little bit more exciting. Yeah. So I have a question. So one of the things that I use a lot when I refer to you and I'm then, you know, it's on your website, it's in everything that's labeled with you. You're labeled and regarded as the father of contemporary acapella. And w- as someone who's kind of had all this extensive experience, you know, you've done choral music, barbershop, jazz, all these other kinds of stuff. I was wondering if you could truly enlighten us on what contemporary acapella means to you, because we use so many definitions of it. And, you know, I just throw out, you know, here's my idea of it. But as someone who was there at the forefront of it all, you know, what does that term mean to you? So the term itself actually kind of came up for an unusual reason. I started the Collegiate Acapella Newsletter, the CAN, Mm -hmm. in my dorm room at Tufts. And I put out a couple of uh, editions of it, and this was like pre-internet, right? Or, or there was an internet, but it was like only Defense Department people sending basically like telegrams <laughs> back and forth, you know, smoke signals. And yeah. so um, I print out this newsletter and I sent it to all the college acapella groups I knew about. I, you know, gathered different databases and lists and and tried to, you know, pull together 
a, a way to keep these collegiate acapella groups back then. There were about 200, 250 of them connected because in the Bugs, we toured all the time, maybe 30 different colleges a year, and um, made all these friends. And, and I loved this thing so much, I just wanted to connect people. So started this newsletter, and then enough fans and professional groups reached out to me and said, like, hey, could you expand the scope to include us? So I thought, okay, I can do that, but it can't be the collegiate acapella news. Um, I need another word that starts with C, though, because people know it as they can. Mm-hmm. So I picked the word contemporary, and there was a reason I picked the word contemporary over, you know, modern or something else, because I didn't want it to only be pop music. And this is important yeah. for people mm-hmm. to know. The first Contemporary Acapella Recording Awards included Barbershop and doo-wop and classical mm-hmm. and comedy and all of it. I consider acapella to be everything, big tent. And the way that you would say these people are contemporaries of each other, that's what I mean by contemporary. Every single kind of acapella that's happening right now, as far as I'm concerned, is contemporary acapella. Roomful of Teeth getting their Pulitzer Prize and Dave Malloy's uh, musical Octet that uh, just came, it was off Broadway and came out with the cast album and Chanticleer and all the great barbershop groups out there and GQ and Pentatonics. Now, it is a little confusing because there are times when contemporary is really used to mean the pop style. Yeah, right. But what's particularly confusing is that for instance, when barbershoppers refer to uh, what we do, they call it just acapella. They say, well, we sing barbershop, you sing acapella. And that always makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, you sing acapella too. Like, eh, you're acapella, <laughs> big tent. And the thing that I think is most important about all of this is that the boundaries, the lines are useless. When you take a group like Take Six, they sing gospel repertoire mm-hmm. Jazz harmonies, R&B stylings. They are transcending genre. And that's what most acapella groups do. Most acapella groups live outside of a traditional style much more than any Mm -hmm. other kind of band or kind of music because the instruments force their musical choices. If you're playing bluegrass and you've you've got a jug band or you've got a string quartet or whatever, you... You're stuck in a genre. If you're a rock band, it's going to be really hard for you to play, com- you know, a jazz. Yeah, the tambour and all bass. that stuff with the instruments. Right. Totally. But the beautiful mm-hmm. thing in a King Singers concert is they can start out singing Gregorian chant and early music and then go through 20th century uh, classical choral music via the whole traditional choral music. And then they go into folk and then they sing some vocal jazz and then they end up with some pop music. They basically they've moved through the equivalent of 200 different instruments and a thousand years of music with just six voices. And that's mm. why for me, the delineations within acapella, although I, I use them and created all the different awards to have many delineations just so we could give up more awards. But frankly, it's it's silly and moot. Yeah. And, and that's fascinating and also educational because I, I like to use contemporary and modern. I think a lot of times I kind of use them interchangeably. And I'm, I'm curious and because we spend a lot of our time talking, I guess, um, about the collegiate space, just because it's a really easy frame of reference for John and I, sure. since we <laughs> spent the bulk of our acapella careers probably in that area. And I'm wondering is our scope a little bit limited in terms of how we're thinking about contemporary acapella? Because when you think of all these college groups and stuff, they're performing, you know, mostly pop. Um, a lot of them are trying to uh, branch out, doing a lot more indie rock, things like that. Oh, yeah. But you're bringing into this idea of, you know, it's everything. And so are we limiting ourselves too much with our frame of what contemporary should be? No, I, I, well, I think two things, specifically as you're talking about the collegiate acapella world. 
First of all, the Collegiate Acapella world is increasingly varied in their style as more schools have more groups in them. You get the group like, oh, we're the group that sings only Disney music. We're the group that sings only 80s tunes. We're the pirate mm-hmm. acapella group. We're the group that sings <laughs> South Asian music. We're the ones who do Jewish music. We're the ones who do music of the African diaspora, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So to uh, self-identify as and, and have their own special something, this is already happening. And the thing to know is that the collegiate acapella world really is the engine that is driving the contemporary acapella style forward. Now, what do I mean by that? If you look at barbershop, if you look at doo-wop, that style of acapella is really mired in a particular era of popular culture. Mm -hmm. And barbershop really kind of got stamped in the late 1800s, early 1900s, boom, right? Doo-wop, 50s, 60s, boom. And it was really attached to a particular style of popular music at the time. It was a cultural moment. And once popular music styles moved past that, they became passe, right? And and uh, people still sing them and they're fantastic, but it becomes about preservation. The thing that I always wanted to do was to create a community that was not able to be stuck in one moment or point in time uh, so that the style of acapella, as we think about it, is constantly moving forward into the future. And the engine that drives that is the collegiate acapella world. Now, what do I mean by this? Collegiate acapella groups, and this is very much my intent back in the day as well, are constantly looking to impress the other people on campus. They're basically giant mating rituals yep. as well as social clubs and <laughs> We've fraternities talked about and sororities. That yeah, 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 of course. The whole thing, right? So they want to do the music that's blasting from everyone's dorm room. And that yep. means doing... Mm-hmm the latest pop hits as well as the indie music and whatever. And that music is always changing and Casa's awards and the way the competitions are set up, you know, the ICCA, et cetera, they aren't genre specific. And also I very clearly intentionally did not centralize all of these organizations Mm -hmm. by creating, you know, the ICCA and then, you know, having that branch off and become its own organization and handing, you know, these these awards over to other people and having CASA have some control but not be the mothership. I didn't want a Barbershop Harmony Society situation where you'd have mm. a small band of a board of directors that were the tastemakers that would tell people yeah. what is good and isn't good acapella. I wanted it to be out into the general world. Let college students determine what's popular. And, you know, this predated YouTube, but the concept is the same. Like which groups are getting people to, to buy tickets and, and who becomes popular and what's great. And then other groups follow them and the style then changes and new people come in. Bottom line, as pop music changes, collegiate acapella is at the forefront of following it and developing new new sounds and styles to copy it. And a good example of this is when pentatonics were just getting born and they um, were on the sing-off. They were like integrating dubstep, for instance. Mm-hmm. And now dubstep came and went pretty quickly, like, you know, don't blink. And the dubstep breakdown back at that time was like a joke that we had on the show. We're like, oh, look, this is another dubstep breakdown. And then, um, of course, as it disappeared, pentatonics moved right past it, as they should. Mm-hmm. So when I'm saying the collegiate acapella world, and of course, you know, professional groups and high school groups now, and even some middle school groups, they're, they're attaching themselves to singing the latest music that keeps acapella fresh. And so we're not going to fall into this trap like Barbershop mm-hmm. and Duop did. But rather, now, if you look back at the early 90s when all of this kind of kicked off and how long a period it's been, we've outlasted the heyday of Barbershop or Duop. 
and mm. I don't see it ending. I see, you know, I think the media is a little bit less uh, obsessed with acapella right now, but that's fine. These things move in waves. However, we're going to hold fast at the 3,000 collegiate acapella groups we have and the competitions and the festivals and, and uh, the pro groups are still out there touring and filling theaters, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my long way of saying that college acapella as your reference point is not necessarily a bad thing because as you're constantly studying what's going on in each new year, that is a big part of the change of the sound and the style of the genre. I think that's ridiculously cool and how you like basically designed this framework with a central group that always has its finger on the pulse. That makes a lot of sense. And that being the thing, like you said, the engine that's keeping it moving forward by always being in tune sorry for the pun as to what is hot <laughs> and that being it but it's it makes a lot of sense i remember i auditioned for a group i didn't get in i think in my freshman year and they were doing songs that i think like Coldplay's new album that had just come out like a month before and that was what people were listening to on campus and the notion of mm-hmm. oh okay when they go and sing when the guys acapella group goes and sings i think it's like uh, paradise or whatever from Coldplay, and they sing it to the sororities across the street like that is hip. That is something that is engaging the community and they're becoming the superstars in that kind of like microcosm of, okay, what's in and how is that relating to the other people on campus and in the larger community is ridiculously neat and backing it up a bit to what you said about the community and basically how you built it through CAN and connected people. I'm curious, we all, Brian and I talk a lot about creating things in acapella because there's, you know, there's so much flexibility. There is so much, Hey, do you want to start a group? Yes. There you go. You have a group. There's, you know, do you want to arrange something? Yes. What was it like for you not creating a group, not creating an arrangement, but building a community through connections with each other? Because I think that's something that not a lot of people have experience with because that's such Mm -hmm. a deeper interpersonal and kind of scary way of building something of, no, I'm not worried about, do I have an arrangement for 8 p.m. rehearsal tomorrow? I'm not worried about, do we have a song ready for the concert? I'm focusing on how do I create something that's so much more amorphous and so much more kind of daunting as creating a community and connecting others. What was that like? Well, it was it was kind of crazy and scary, but I've I've always been a bit of a Don Quixote tilting at windmills and didn't really care what other people think. And and let me tell you, like in the early nineties, right after I graduated college and I started something called Sunday Sings, like rent out a little space and bring some handwritten arrangements and you know, Xerox copies and hand them out to people and have people bring cookies and just sing through some songs. Like, and ooh, 12 people showed up the first time, but now we have 22 people. I mean, it literally started mm-hmm. that small. And going to the Harmony Sweepstakes and, and handing out business cards, letting people know there's this new organization. It really was, you know, connecting people by word of mouth, except I knew that. It could be big. Everybody laughed at me, by the way, when I was told them I was going to make a career at this. My high school choral director never said this to my face, but he told everybody else, it's like Deke's trying to make a career out of professional tiddlywinks. He was like, he was like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you if your high school that? choral director is not behind your, your vocal slash choral career, That's ain't nobody going to be, right? Yeah. This yeah. is like, so that gave you a sense of how everybody was like, Teak is just crazy. And on the, you know, on the road with the house jacks, everybody else is going out to the after party. And I'm in a small German town looking for the late night internet cafe that's up until 2 p.m. run by the nice Turkish family mm-hmm. and trying to <laughs> get on dial up internet to be able to forward an article, to be able to go in the news. I mean, it was like, 
nuts and they were teasing me and the whole thing. But it was it was about slowly laying the groundwork to build this this community that I knew needed to be there. People forget that humans sang before we could speak. And you, you look across the animal kingdom, there's so many different creatures, birds and crickets and whales that can still communicate through tone and, and sound as humans must have. And then if you go through most of human history, everybody sang because it was a way that, you know, initially prehistoric times and early, early cultures, people would connect through song. And then all the way up through reading the great novels after a meal, people retire and sing songs together. And part of being a Renaissance man or a gentleman was to be able to play music and women all, you know, it was just, a, it was a part of human culture. And this wasn't just an upper class thing. People sang sea shanties on sea ships and they would, you know, be out in the field singing songs and and I mean, it's it's a part of human culture mm-hmm. and then recorded music came along and john philip Sousa said this is going to ruin music and people laughed at you know the march guy and everybody everybody laughed at him and they said like dude you don't understand this is going to put music everywhere and he did understand because it did put music everywhere but it took away the, the need for people to make it themselves and so my desire was to bring that back into culture and to make people remember not just that, like, oh, music's great and shows like American Idol, obviously, like, oh, it's, you know, people are living vicariously through the soloists. I'm mm-hmm. all about, no, 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 no. You should be the one singing. And and community singing is a big part of, of I think, what makes acapella so special. It's not like, oh, they need to be superstars, rock stars, like everybody can join a group. That's the shift in the paradigm shift. And and one little interesting side note is back when um, the House Jacks were trying to get snatched up by a label because we had great original music and we ended up going with Warner Brothers Tommy Boy Records, but RCA was another label that was really interested in this. And I remember talking to the head of A&R there and he said, there are two kinds of music that everybody loves at festivals and nobody knows how to get. One of them is reggae and the other one's acapella. Hmm. And he said, hmm. he said, every time there's acapella at a festival, it draws an enormous crowd and people love it. It's just nobody knows any of these groups. They don't know how to get in touch with them. And back then, in the you know, middle of the 90s, there were only a couple of professional groups that were out there that, that were um, household names. And I was like, you're exactly right. That's my life's work. I'm right there with you on that whole thing. In the end, uh, we didn't sign with them, but they did later on sign Pentatonix. So <laughs> I'm sure he had retired by then. But, I've heard uh, of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they've done okay. Yeah, more <laughs> more YouTube followers than Beyonce. So anyway, that's the long way of yeah. saying I, I I always felt and knew that it's such an essential part of human culture. It's just we've gone away from it in a bigger way for a longer period of time than ever before in human history. Yeah, and I like this idea that you're bringing up about community and because I think that ties so much into every single topic we talk about on this show. And and I'm just curious, was there any other kind of things that you ran into issues as you were, you know, trying to start this thing early on? Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, people, people don't take it seriously or they think it's kind of silly or cute or unimportant, but I never, I was like, okay, well then it's not for you right now. Moving on. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Grammys a couple of times with a couple other organizations like the barbershoppers went and tried to petition the Grammys to say, Hey, can we get it? an acapella category. And finally, someone who was on the board of the Grammys just said, like, stop trying. It's never going to happen ever. So stop wasting your, your, your energy. And I realized I got to go out and change culture and then mm-hmm. they'll follow. That was a really clear moment of awakening for me. I was like, wait a minute, you don't go to the organizations and, you know, at the top and tell them to add you. 
you change the culture ground up and then you force them to change. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is a few years ago, they did change a category to be from, uh, it was all instrumental arrangement to all yep. instrumental or all vocal arrangement. And every single year since then, it's been won by an acapella group or singer Jacob Collier. So, uh, <laughs> so it's funny that it did end up happening, but it ended up happening not because someone at the top said, okay, we're going to have this category, but rather... They kind of had to because it's such a thing. A groundswell. Yeah. Although I will say one thing about community that, that I feel uh, like we still have work to do is if the collegiate acapella world has grown so much and gone from 200, 250 to 3,000 acapella groups right now, and the high school thing has exploded in so many choirs, even if they're not only contemporary acapella, they incorporate a part of it. So we're talking about way more than the number of collegiate groups out there, although they might not right. be only that. Yeah. And now middle school groups are getting on board. Mm-hmm. What we're finding is, uh, and there's no shocker here, that is really, you're getting more private school than public school, you know, and, and uh, if this all came out of the Ivy Leagues with, you know, with and poofs and then kind of spread out, we're talking about, you know, a, a culture that tends toward the upper class or the upper middle class or the middle class. And I'd like to find more effective ways to reach all aspects of American culture and world culture. Because you do see that demographic element in our festivals and at our events. And um, acapella really should be for everyone and of everyone. And in the same way that the barbershop community has a, you know, a character about it, our contemporary acapella community has a character about it. And I really would like to see that expand out more. So there's still work to be done. Yeah, I think this this reminds me a lot of a conversation I had with some of the Yellow Jackets and Aaron Director here at Acaville about the accessibility of acapella. And it's it's obviously, yes, acapella is very white. Acapella is very upper middle class, upper class, stuff like that. And sometimes I kind of wonder about that because compared to something like band, like orchestra, acapella is pretty cheap. You don't need to buy instruments. You don't mm-hmm. need to buy, uh, you know, a bunch of, I mean, she, you sometimes you can get away with not doing sheet music. You can just learn it by ear, stuff like that. So I think it's something that has the potential, as you said, Deke, to reach other people. And I'm, I'm kind of racking my brain as to what's kind of keeping it from that. People, a lot of people don't realize barbershop, which is now you think of like four old white guys. That was mm-hmm. an African-American tradition. Mm-hmm. And it was aural with an A, not oral, but yep. yes. Um, <laughs> it was music that people arranged by ear. Barbershop was not about sheet music. Barbershop was a much simpler call and response, three chords, occasional sevenths and swipes back in its day. And then if you look at doo-wop, that was uh, largely an kind of underclass immigrant you know, um, style that happened in the Eastern Seaboard, you know, from Boston down to Philly. And it was an urban kind of music as well. But a lot of those pop tunes you hear on the radio that are, that are of the doo-wop era, they started out on the street corner. Guys just singing by ear, writing a tune. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your lead singer and then some people making up some syllables behind them. So we're talking about two major movements, probably the two biggest movements in the past 100 plus years of acapella started from the people, by the people, by ear, and was not upper class, was not sheet music, was not colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. So this Mm -hmm. thing that we have going now is a different tradition and it's a different demographic. So it's not that it can't happen. It's just that it didn't happen this time and we got to figure out how how to bring it back. 
Yeah, and it's a fascinating point because to kind of piggyback off what both you, both of you are saying, I'm I'm looking at the college space and I'm thinking of how you know you get really get anyone kind of walks up and be like, hey, I want to start a group and you know it takes off and it could thrive or it could just kind of fall by the wayside and you know it'll be as it is at the end of the day and that's the collegiate space and I look at the high school space and I'm seeing where all these groups are coming from and just kind of point out this whole class thing is just like well a lot of the groups that I've paid attention to or heard of at least from the high school and you know middle school spaces those are more well-off schools you know Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of these kind of fine art school these private schools and I'm thinking how I got started you know what we didn't have um you know a certain acapella group that was established in our high school thing it was literally me and some friends you know we like to sing and so we just hang out after school and start singing and so it was just like four guys that are just kind of doing it you know at one's house you know there was no you know school involvement or very self-motivated yeah yeah it was very yeah exactly self-motivated and i'm just like okay what was it a perception thing is it more just like if you go to one of these fine arts schools it makes more sense to do that whereas if you're you know for lack of a better way of putting if you're coming from one of these more underprivileged type schools or things like that you know is it not as cool to do it and just to kind of do it in the background with some friends kind of thing and it just well it could it could be i think uh acapella as we do it is complicated so mm-hmm. it's not like i mean they can't be jumping into a 10-part arrangement if they've yeah. never sung before i think the bigger issue is that unlike previous times in human culture first of all not everybody sings it's just not a part of the culture the way it was you know 50 and definitely 100 years ago but also the music education in schools, particularly you know public schools that have a lot of funding, it's cut. And mm-hmm. I created a program in the '90s, uh, and we had uh, you know we were getting six figures in grants a year. Uh, the oh. program was called Urban Harmony Movement, and the whole idea was exactly what you're talking about. Acapella doesn't take much. All you need is someone to go into the room and teach people by ear. You don't need sheet music. You don't need whatever. You can do the latest songs on the radio. And I had trained up some staff and we were testing things around California in different districts. And and the whole idea was like, let's nail this program and then roll it out nationally. And we can change the nature of music education in places where there isn't staff. It isn't possible. Mm-hmm. And one of my great career heartbreaks is that it didn't end up coming into fruition. There were too many logistical hurdles. Some grants would only be given if you only work outside the schools. So you have to do after school programs and other grants were only if you're inside the schools. And the thing that was uh, that's the real nexus is you need great educators. You need charismatic, motivated people who are young, who can go in and connect with these students and get them to come and and rally. And when we found those people and we got them to go into the schools after school or lunchtime or whatever, the groups that they pulled together were fantastic and the transformation in those students' lives was amazing because all of a sudden, like like we all had when in the college acapella group, whatever, you have a family, you have a connection, you get a chance to, mm-hmm. to create. People in your school think you're rock stars, et cetera, et cetera. So I know this can work, but it's going to take somebody who's really good at writing grants and dealing with mm-hmm. logistics and all of these things that that exist in the nonprofit space and involve scaling up organizational elements and that's those I, I was too busy doing every other part of the acapella thing at the same time and touring with the house shacks and starting a publishing company and festivals and all that kind of stuff so I wasn't able to give it the attention that, that it needed but 
the ideas out there. And some small organizations are doing it. The Tufts Beelzebubs have a program called Be The Music, and they do exactly that in the Boston area. And it works well when you're doing it on a small scale and you just have a couple directors and, you know, that, that that's easy. It's how do you do it nationally? Yeah. And as a public school, uh, middle school choir teacher, like I can sign off on everything Deke just said. That's exactly the situation I faced. And it's it's a big hurdle that I think hopefully... You know, we'll be able to clear someday. We are going to take a short break here on Tacapella. We are going to be right back here. This has been John and Brian, and we're talking with Deke Sharon, guys. It's a great episode, and we're going to be right back. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming Acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, filling your ears with voices since 2013. I got my ticket for the long way round Two bottle whiskey for the way And I sure would like some sweet company And I'm leaving tomorrow, what do you say? When I'm gone when I'm gone, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. You're gonna miss me by my hair. You're gonna miss me everywhere. Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone. I got my ticket for the long way round. The one with the prettiest of views. It's got mountains, it's got rivers, it's got sights to give you shivers But it sure would be prettier with you When I'm gone, when I'm gone You're gonna miss me when I'm gone You're gonna miss me by my walk, you're gonna miss me by my talk Oh, you're gonna miss me when I'm gone And welcome back to Takapella Hello, Aka people. Welcome back to Talkapella. We've been speaking with Mr. Deke Sharon. Man, it's been an exciting episode here on episode 100 of Talkapella. Brian, I'm going to been... cut you off because I need to know right now, what is Deke's opinion on the phrase Aka people? Because we've been having our debate back and forth <laughs> just can't let about me have it, hating it, me kind of hating it, then using it ironically and now starting to use and it regularly. Then you and then you love it so much, you And then you throwing it out there. In our intro, back into the it's, second it's, segment, Deke, what, okay. what do you think? I, I I think the whole Akka thing, which wasn't a thing before Pitch Perfect, yeah. <laughs> is is hilarious, and I fully embrace it because it's a way of basically indicating to the world that we don't take ourselves very seriously. So whenever I say Akka this or Akka that, people kind of laugh, and then I'm like, yeah, we're fun and silly, and so people use that to make fun of us, even if it wasn't a thing beforehand, like... Let's embrace it. I think I find it disarming and it's stupid, but that's okay because <laughs> some elements of life are stupid. And and honestly, we have enough sublime in our world too, like the, the beauty of, of vocal music and the connection between people and all these wonderful things. So if it means sometimes being stupid, then fine. So Aka people, I can get behind it. See, signed off. So you basically, win, I just okay, heard that win, we, need it, we need that term. Yeah. <laughs> See, I just got signed off on, so. Well, I mean, and it's, it's so like, you could say like, well, the, the community of acapella singers and stuff like that, but we're not like writing yeah. a thesis term paper or anything like that, right? <laughs> we're just a bunch of people. I don't need to say anything further. There it is, John. <laughs> and by the way, you, you, you realize like, we're calling this acapella now. In the future, people could change the name or call it something different. Like rock and roll 
that's not what they called it originally. Yeah. This is music, right? And that's right, and yeah. barbershop or doo-wop. So people may call what we're doing like Jen Jen Joe, Zhuang Joe, or like, you know what I mean? Like who knows Ooh, what what's the what, next uh, evolution? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us back on the show, everyone. Man, we've been learning a lot here from Deke on so many acapella things, and we have so much more that we need to know from him. So, Deke, just to kind of trying to change directions from some of the things we were speaking about earlier. So, you got to work on the music for Pitch Perfect. You know, everyone knows Pitch Perfect at this point. And whenever I bring up acapella, I'm pretty sure the first thing that comes to people's mind is Pitch Perfect these days. So I kind of want to ask some questions around that that whole movie, the music that you did there. And sure. so I'm my first question is, were there any concerns going into it in terms of portraying acapella? Obviously, there was a lot of humor that went into the movie. You know, we made a lot of jokes out of it at the end of the they day. They got Anna Kendrick. So, you know, that's always that's always got, a plus. Exactly. You got some big names in there. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, though, we got to see this grand, majestic performance of what the ICCA was really about. And so I'm just curious, you know, were there any doubts throughout the process on portraying acapella in the right light? Oh, many. Uh, well, first of all, pretty much everybody working on this movie, no one had ever made an acapella movie beforehand. And it was first-time producers with, with Elizabeth Banks and her husband. It was first-time director, Jason Moore, who came from Broadway. First time, you know, me and Ed Boyer and, and you know, all the music people, like, we were doing this for the first time. We were all just figuring out how to make the right kind of movie as well as make an acapella movie, which had never been done. Now, luckily, I had already done a couple seasons of The Sing-Off, so I had a good mm-hmm. sense of like how to take acapella and make it work on a screen, although the big screen and the small screen are different. And that show was live and it was a competition and there were a different set of elements. And I did say to Elizabeth Banks around the table the first day I was there with her, I said, Liz, listen, you know, this has to be a funny comedy. Please don't pull any punches and don't worry about hurting my feelings. Like, make us look as stupid and silly as you want to. Because if people don't laugh, it doesn't work. I said, but I love the, the, the judges, her and the other. Oh, my gosh. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. And John Michael Higgins, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I said, but if at the end of the day, like people are not out of their seats cheering for the music, the movie doesn't work. So we need mm-hmm. each other. So we're like, let's go hard in both directions. And by the way, John Michael Higgins is a huge fan and collector of vocal harmony. Really? So we've had all these conversations about old Hilo's albums and the four freshmen and Gene Perling arrangements and vocal wow. jazz. And you no, know, he's like, part he's of he's you wouldn't expect it. it. He's yeah. He's one of us basically. Okay. Um, and he sang in the Amherst Zumbais. Have you ever seen the Zumbais perform? I don't think I, so. Online, I've seen them perform. Okay, so and, so they have one person on the end wearing a banana suit, and they yeah. never explain it or whatever. He invented that. He that what? was him. Yeah. Oh, that no, was he's awesome. no, he's wow. super super legit. One of us. Like we couldn't have more of an insider, wow. and he's a great guy. That was the perfect um, inclusion for the movie. Then that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but I'll say also, and this is a story I tell from time to time. I was so excited for the red carpet performance and to take these amazing mm-hmm. singers. And Jason Moore said, I got you all these unbelievable singers. And so I, I set, set up the chairs in a circle, like first day I'm going to have music rehearsal with everybody. And, and I uh, got all 10 of them to sit down and I'm like, hi, I'm Deke Sharon, I'm music, music director. We're, you know, I'm going to teach all this music and stuff. But before we get started, I just want to get a sense of like, how many of you guys have had acapella experience? And one hand went up, Kelly Jekyll, who sang in uh, USC mm-hmm. SoCal Vocals, okay. yep. and she'd been in two seasons of The Sing-Off, and she was like the one ringer we brought in. She's like Bella number 10, basically. <laughs> and so, part. yeah, right, exactly. So, but no other hands went up, and I was like, oh, okay. Uh, no one else has done any acapella, okay. Um, so then I said, so how many of you guys have, like, sung in choir and had, like, 
you know, choral experience and no hands went up. And then Gosh. one, one of the bells said like, does like a semester in middle school count? And the blood audibly drained from my face. I was like, <laughs> Oh God, I <laughs> need to count. take 10 singers, nine of whom haven't really ever sung harmony. All of whom are clearly very different people. There's a lot of typecasting going yeah. on the way they speak, the way they sound, everything. And I've got to turn them into the greatest women's acapella ensemble ever. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, every Friday, there'd be like a little show and tell Friday afternoon where we'd kind of, I call it dance for grandma, like, you know, dance for all the producers and sing for all the producers and, and you know, do your dog and pony show. And so the troublemakers and the bellas would both do their dance routines, like with you know, the music playing for the songs. And they were both great. They crushed it. And then it was time to sing. And the troublemakers were awesome because it was uh, two leads from Broadway, right? You got mm-hmm. you got Skylar Aston and then a guy named Ben Platt, who's uh, had a little bit of fame since then. Yep. Uh, yeah. Jeremy Hansen <laughs> or whatever. Kind of famous, yeah. Kind of famous, right, right, right. And, uh, and then most of the guys in the group were kind of backfilled from local college acapella groups like Tulane and whatnot. And so, you know, not to toot my horn too much, but give me mediocre college acapella singers and... I'll make them great. That's what I do, right? If otherwise, I get nothing going. <laughs> um, and then the Bellas stepped forward, and they were pretty terrible. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They, they were like, you know, the whoa, 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 whoa. Like, they're just like not a blend and the rhythm and the oh, tuning man. and the whole thing. And there are a couple nice voices in there, whatever, but like nothing was clicking. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of these Fridays, Jason, the director, pulled me aside and he was like, um, Deke, I just need to make sure you know the women need to win the movie. And I was like, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But it's really hard because they're not good. And he said, you told me you could work with anyone. And I said, you told me you'd get me real singers. So we had some moments. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, you know, it was all it was all laughter and love, believe me. And then um, the beautiful thing was, by the end of this month, somehow everything came together. Like the clouds mm-hmm. parted, and their voices snapped together. But I'll tell you that that literally, with no exaggeration, was the hardest working month of my life. And I've been wow. through a lot. But that month, I slept like two hours a night. And it was a super low budget movie. So it was like anything that I wanted to like get money to get voice lessons for the people. I got a stern talking to and no dice. Like, and so I'm up late sweating. Like this is our one chance to make an acapella movie. And honestly, and Ed Boyer will, will tell you this. Like I walked away like at the end of the filming and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, that's going direct to DVD. <laughs> because I was just convinced like we, we did everything we could and we bled for this movie and everyone mm-hmm. put everything they had into it. But Here's the thing. Statistically, so many movies are made, and especially small budget movies that no one ever hears about. Mm-hmm. And Gold Circle, this movie studio that put together this movie, they had had one hit, and like they made like fifty movies, so forty nine movies you've never heard of. I think their second most famous movie was called Blood Creek or something. They made slasher movies and like Hallmark movies or like those kind of like yeah. romance things that like that you've never heard of. So I was like, let's look at the odds there's not a big chance that it's going to be like their one big hit movie, which was my big fat Greek wedding. Mm. But guess what? I was completely wrong. And (laughs) it actually, it was, it only opened in a few theaters. It was a very small open and, you know, a little, little bit of interest, but I don't even think it made the top 10 list of the 10 most viewed movies or whatever, but word of mouth started to spread. And then shortly thereafter it came out on DVD 
Mm-hmm. And then it exploded and went everywhere. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we the movie came out in 2012, right? And we had the best-selling soundtrack of 2013. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when does that happen? Right? It was the next yep. year. And we beat the Les Mis soundtrack and Rock of Ages. And, and in fact, a couple of the Take Six guys worked on the Rock of Ages soundtrack. And that was a huge, big-budget movie. It had all the like classic rock moves, you know, mm-hmm. tunes in it. It had mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. And he said, we had all the money we could ever want. And everybody was convinced it was going to be the biggest music movie of the year. And nothing happened. And he said, in this little movie you made, like, went bonkers. He said, so hats off to you, which uh, which felt really good. But I got to tell you, I wasn't <laughs> counting on it. I'm curious. I like to read film books and listen to film podcasts a lot. Something that I hear a lot of directors and writers and uh, production designers talk about a lot is that limited resources uh, force them to get creative and force them to potentially like kind of go down avenues they might not usually go down if they had all the money. Would you say that was the case for the first Pitch Perfect movie or would it have just been a lot easier had you had the budget to do what you needed to do? Well, I mean, I, I would have loved a little bit of money to be able to give a couple of voice lessons here and there. And, mm-hmm. and and we built our own recording studio inside this abandoned uh, state house building, which, you know, like, but there were like big vent ducts. So whenever like the air conditioning went on, mm. it ruined the take. And also, for some reason, whoever was making these choices decided to put us on the 10th floor and the dance studio on the 11th floor above us. Oh, great. So there are also people stopping. I mean, there were like, there's just a lot of like, decisions that of course for the second movie we didn't make i was gonna ask was, what was that like the second movie was like a giant family reunion because people don't realize you know when we made the sing-off we would tape an episode and then uh, a few days later it'd be on the air so like there's a little bit of delayed gratification i'm of course a performer so i'm used to being on stage and hearing applause after every song so there's a little delay but then you can see the twitter feed and people talk about it you're like okay like you know and plus we'd have a, a live studio audience so there'd be mm-hmm. 500 people in there giving you feedback you make a movie, every single thing happens in silence, in space. You have no idea yeah. how it's going to come across. So we wrapped principal photography almost a year later the movie comes out. And then it's not until several months after that that the whole thing becomes a big hit and the cup song is on the radio and, and the soundtrack's going bonkers and everybody starts quoting it, right? So it wasn't until we got together for the second movie that it was like, oh my God, guys, look what happened. So it was a, making the second movie for me was the most fun because we had the money that we needed to do things. And also by that point, I learned how every single one of the Bellas learns best. This person mm-hmm. works better from sheet music. This person needs her learning recordings. This person uses up arrows and down arrows. Like there's all kinds of, <laughs> there's, there's all, woo, yeah, every single one of them is different. Can you tell us how Anna Kendrick learns music best? Anna Kendrick is a machine. Anna Kendrick learns her music before she gets there and then sings it perfectly on the spot. And in oh, fact, cool. she came late to the second movie. She had been making Into the Woods and and so um she was like working with Meryl Streep and I got a chance to talk to her about it, which was really fun. But she was she was sending me emails periodically before she got there. She was like, Deke, I just want to make sure that these arrangements that I have are the final arrangements and there won't be any changes because I hate learning the music and then having it change and having to relearn it. And I wrote her back. And I get it. I hate that too. Every producer has signed off. They promised me there won't be any changes. So you can go ahead and learn this music. And you know what's coming, of course. Then the producer's like, oh, you know, maybe <laughs> we want an extra thing here. And we're going to change these lyrics. So it wasn't until like a week into rehearsals or whatever that Anna showed up. So she just walked in the room 
And she said, you know, she ran across the room. She went, Deek! And she ran across the room and gave me a big hug. And then she held up the sheet music and she pointed at it and she went, hmm? And I said, <laughs> I kind of shrugged. I kind of shrugged like, sorry. And then she just looked at me and she went, fuck you. <laughs> so that was basically what? our relationship. And then when, when we got an American Music Award and the Bellas like, uh, got it and she gave the speech, the first person she thanked was myself. And, and she basically called us sociopaths, something like that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, that is a memory. That is Yeah, we made her we made her nuts. But anyway, she was uh by and large the most um kind of methodical uh sheet music reading besides like Kelly Jekyll who yeah. of course came oh, from yeah. our world. Yeah, they and in fact like uh, Brittany Snow called Kelly the professional. So she'd say like she occasionally say, "Can the professional sing my part for me again just to make sure I got it right?" The professional. You know? Cuz I can sing it up the octave, you know, or I'm in in my falsetto, but it's mm-hmm. it reads a little differently, blah blah blah. So I'm curious. So obviously the movie, you know, was well received by lots of non acapella fans. And I'm curious, the people that were on set that you got the chance to work with, I don't know if you were able to notice or even had conversations with them about this, but do you think that by their involvement in the movie, it kind of helped to maybe bolster their love or their interest in acapella at all? Is that something that you think that they walked away like, hmm, okay, I'm, I'm into this now? Um, I think so. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Anna Kendrick was, you know, she got in a Best Supporting Academy Award nomination for Up in the Air, right? But mm-hmm. it wasn't until Pitch Perfect that she became, and I know she was in Twilight as well, but Pitch Perfect was the one that's like solidified her public image as snarky girl that everybody knows. And, you know, so... And then Rebel Wilson, she'd had some comedy things supporting whatever. It's the movie that was like, bam, you are basically fatty me incarnate, right? Like like crazy, over-the-top, comedic, blah, blah, blah. I think for every single one of the women in that movie, Pitch Perfect will likely be mentioned in the first sentence of their obituary. I don't mean that in a bad way, but just like it, it, had, it had an indelible effect on every single person who was involved in the movie that's awesome you know elizabeth banks it'll be mentioned like bam 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 because the movie was such a big cultural touchstone and so many of the actors and actresses and people involved in it had that much success and had their own franchise yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then it and then it was like boom here you are big flag in the moon wham can you give us any hints as to the future of the Pitch Perfect franchise, any breadcrumbs that you can drop for us for fans of the, I'd, the current I'd trilogy? I'd love to, but the bottom line is it's out of all of our hands and really in the hands of Universal at this point. Yeah. Who basically, they were very hands-off, and then once the thing took off, they were like, okay, we'll be driving the train now. I think it'll be a while. Okay. You know, I, I've floated some ideas about a, uh, you know, a Pitch Perfect 4 would be a fun reboot, and I'd love to do it um, basically... Uh, in the style of like Princess Bride, where you've got someone like Fat Amy who's telling oh the young gosh. people in the house the story of the of the origin, but she gets it kind of wrong. But you go back in time, and then you see the birth of the Barden Bellas, and I think that would be super fun. Whatever it is, I think it'll be a while. I think the kind of trilogy of the current mm-hmm. members has has existed, and and that yeah. is you know. I'd also say if I had to put money on it, I would bet yes in five years to a decade, uh, there will be talk of a pitch perfect Broadway thing, Mm -hmm. you know, 
Is it the original movie? Is it kind of tweaked differently? Is it all original music? Is it some cover tunes woven? Like, who knows? But in the same way that, like, Legally Blonde and Bring It On and all those kind of things went to Broadway, I think Pitch Perfect is is very ripe for that. And with Jason Moore having come from Broadway and one of the other uh, music team people, Tom Kitt, being a huge name on Broadway, having written Next to Normal, gotten a Pulitzer Prize for it and... And, uh, like, there's just enough of a connection in that world that I think it'll happen. But I think it's going to be wait enough time until a decade or 12 years or whatever after the yeah. original as as worked for these other things. Now, no guarantee it'll be a huge success. And also, how do we deal with acapella? I, you know, did the first acapella musical on Broadway within transit. And now we've had the Dave Moy, um octet out there. So it's a thing. Would some of it be acapella? I who knows if they would do all of it a cappella? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all of that would get worked out in time. Um, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> sure way <laughs> of saying who knows. Cool. I just, I'm a huge film geek and having acapella and film collide for that beautiful those beautiful three movies for me was i i remember going to the theater with my friends and they look at me during like all the scenes and be like is that does that happen in real life i'd be like kind of and then be like and be like no and then they'd be like that doesn't happen I'm like no that definitely happens stuff like that was a real i i just and i'm sure brian you had the same experience just yeah having the opportunity to kind of be almost like the translator or be like here is a little taste of my culture and uh you know have fun with it and especially one that's so satirical and self-referential and just had so much fun like those movies was was really great good one of my favorite memories about that whole movie the whole the green bay packers uh, uh, yeah you know that's (laughs) That's... number two for sure (laughs) number one just slightly above that i took a friend to the movie with me to see i believe it was that first pitch perfect movie and it was a friend that was kind of growing in his interest acapella, but not quite there yet, but uh, still a music lover nonetheless. And the part of the movie comes up where the girls is like, Aka, excuse me. And he died laughing in the theater <laughs> like no one else. I'm just like, OK, dude, we might have to leave after all this. So yep. I, I think the movie for giving me that moment and that memory forever, because that was just like awesome and genius. That comes back to the Aka people thing we were talking about at the very beginning of this segment, that self-referential, that making fun of us, that making fun of ourselves, that irreverence, that it was so nice to have that as like a real heart of the film that I think lets it, you know, as opposed to trying to make it this sleek, sexy, which obviously it is at some points, but like if it took itself so seriously, then I think probably it wouldn't have landed not only with general audiences, but also just with like, uh, acapella people because you know we 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 had a whole episode uh, like I don't think episode 56 or something where we're talking about taking the music seriously but not taking ourselves too seriously and to have the films really embrace that I think is going to I, I think is why they're a big part of why they're a huge cultural touchstone for our community and that intersection with everyone else and why I think they've stood the test of time however many years it's been since they've come out yeah, yeah. And so, so Deke, we have an, one more question, at least for you, hopefully, before we get to this break. So we we have come to learn that most acapella people who spend a significant amount of time on the road always have these interesting stories. I have some experience that probably just surprises on what actually happens on the road. I believe Chris Harrison was a good example God, from so Aurora. Funny. He came on and gave us like the greatest stories from the road. And so I'm curious with all of your experience with the the movie series, you know, within transit and, you know, with all Anna the Kendrick cussing you out. Exactly. That that probably takes the cake right now. But just like, I'm, I'm curious, you know, do you have any favorite moments from your time, you know, just exploring acapella or touring on the road that, you know, that sticks out? Oh, I mean, I, 
Wow, almost 25 years on the road with the House Shacks, four years in the Beelzebubs, obviously making those movies and so many other different different things. Uh, how about, it's going to take me some time to think about that. We'll do it when I come back on the show. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll knock that out. I mean, and then there are the stories that I definitely cannot tell. What? Those public. are the stories you should tell. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah. See, and that tells me what happens in Akka stays in Akka. That's fine by me. Just learning a little bit about the behind the scenes of Pitch Perfect is good enough for me. Uh, everyone, we're going to take one last break, and then we are going to be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. I may not always love you, but long as there are stars above you, Never need to doubt it. I'll make you so sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. Still go on, believe me, the world could show nothing to me, so what good would living do me, God only knows what I'd be without you. sure about it. God only knows what I'd be without you. Without you. Without you. Thanks for joining us back on Tacapella. What a crazy, exciting, hilarious, awesome episode we have had here. John, man, this this has been wonderful, right? Dude, you know, 
we did it's 100 episodes that's really cool and even it. though there's technically only 99 on itunes and in the Ockerville archives because i lost one uh, still it's pretty good this is still 100 <laughs> this is still for me sorry to episode five um there's not there's not some cool story behind it i just lost it i deleted it, it and i thought i didn't need to delete it and uh, yeah so but this is still 100 it still counts and it's everything i had wanted it to be when i thought about this, this on episode two back in March of 2016. So it's it's been pretty well, great. We made it. And so there's probably no better way, you know, just to kind of commemorate this whole episode 100 than with another amazing round of rapid fire questions. Oh you know, we had to do this. Yep. You oh, know, I, I love it. A few it. times, but, you know, for Deke Sharon, you know, we brought out our best questions. Bring so, it. So Bring there's it some number five is that's, <laughs> you, I saw yeah, you so, typing that one this morning and I was like, can you pronounce that? Because I can't pronounce that. But it's going to be. Yeah, but don't, don't let John ask that one because he'll delete it. Yeah. That's so. Brian, John, kick stay us away from that. You are not wrong. All right, I'm like, I'm counting. Okay, I'm starting this. I'll, I'll take care of that one. Okay. So, so, Deke, we literally want the first thought that comes to mind when we give you these questions. So, All right, let's do it. Some of them are multiple choice, some of them just give us what you got. So, here we go. Cool. Number one, which was more memorable, your leading high school role in The Music Man or performing the Monday Night Football theme? More memorable? Mm -hmm. Ooh. Uh, more memorable is the Monday Night uh, Football theme, but more important in my career is definitely The Music Man. Star Wars series or The Avengers series? Oh, Star Wars. Okay, thank you. Please. Thank you. <laughs> 90s hip hop or 80s rock? Oh, ugh. Um, <laughs> shh. It's a wash. What? It's okay. a wash. I mean, look, uh, and here's why. Uh, 80s rock has a lot of hair farming stuff in it. There's some great tunes, yeah. but between the synthesizers and the kind of like effete Depeche Mode thing, which I never much liked, and I'm much more of a like 70s and 60s rock when there was like real hard in it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still some good tunes in there. And the 90s hip hop, like there's some amazing stuff in there as well, but there mm -hmm. isn't nearly as much of it. So it's kind of hard to... If I had to pick between the two, I'd go with 90s hip hop. That was my guess. That's what he'd do. Okay. Just for the record. That's what I figured. An all Disney cruise or a cruise with nothing but music from the Rat Pack? Oh, wow. I mean, I've got Decapod. Yeah, I know. This Disney, I've got this <laughs> Disney group, so I kind of should be answering that, but I would definitely pick Rat Pack. Cool. Okay. Nice. All right. Here it is. Number five having a pet gerbil or pet capuchin. Oh, what's the latter? Pet what? See, I told you. Gerbil. No one knows what it is, Brian. I think you just made this what, animal or, up. What? I mean, the capuchin is a monkey. Pet monkey. You know, one oh. of those. Well, I grew up, uh, my brother had a gerbil and it squeaked in its wheel all night and it made me crazy. So it's time to go with the monkey. <laughs> okay. Early morning arranging or midnight arranging? Mm, now that I'm older, early morning. But, but it's like the kind of early morning where you just got back from a trip in Europe. So... You have jet lag and you you wake up at 3 a.m. and it's pitch black out and the whole house is silent and nobody in the world is awake. And then you get like a hot cup of tea and you're like, all right, let's knock this one out. Okay, I can see that. All right, space exploration or dive into the deepest crevices of the ocean. Mm, mm. You're going to get more out of the ocean, like deep in, in uh, like the Monterey Trench. They're still mm -hmm. finding mm -hmm. creatures down there. So you get more there but i think i need to go with space because there's so much that we still need to learn all-time yeah. favorite gig Ooh, wow yeah 
hard. <laughs> it's a hard one. Yeah. Um, performing with Ray Charles or James Brown, way Ooh. up there. Big Italian festival with people all the way up. Ooh, 100,000 people singing Cashmere before opening for like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. What? That's good. I know. The Riverbed Festival, there are people just like as far as the eye can see. Just mm-hmm. huge, huge, huge. And rocking out on this giant um, barge that's that's on the river with uh, screens projecting us and the sound ricocheting oh, off nice. the valley. Yeah. Good, good gigs. That's, that's a great answer. Like All right. If you weren't famous for music, what would you want to be famous for? Making the world a better place somehow. Nice. I like it. One product you can't live without. Oh, uh, lip balm. I'm needing a little bit of that right now. I appreciate that. Uh, Your least favorite type of music. Wow. Uh, When the music comes on. Um, It'd be something that's like pure synthesizers and kind of uh, annoying. Okay. I get no, that. no, but this isn't like I can still live with like some EDM and stuff like that. Although it always sounds to me like I'm in an H and M dressing room, <laughs> like when the music's going. It's and a like really the, specific, the, really accurate comparison. And I'm like, oh, can you hear me? Do you, do you have this in a large? No, that kind of a question. <laughs> yeah, always comes to mind. You're in the zombie apocalypse. What's your weapon of choice? Ooh, uh, yeah, I haven't really thought about this, but you're going to need something that doesn't need a lot of ammunition, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Or you're going to have to go with, uh, hmm, or you can use, uh, I haven't really, I'm not like a zombie person, but I'm guessing ultimately that, that, you know, the baseball bat with the nails in it, like that kind of a thing is really, it's going to be there for you whenever you need it. Well said. All right. And your final question, (laughs) baby Yoda or grumpy cat? Oh, baby Yoda. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> good. I was going to delete this yeah. whole interview if you had said Grumpy Cat. Just scrap it right there. Yeah, but, well, uh, yeah, and you know how. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I've gotten some shade thrown, Too and soon. I love it. I Too appreciate soon. it all. Yeah. No, it's, no, I inadvertently deleted it. Hey, Aaron, remember when I deleted episode five on accident? It oh yeah wow there's the shade from both sides yeah I mean it wasn't it wasn't great not gonna lie uh, but it was but if there was an episode to delete it's okay that it was that one oh man um and then Deke uh, we wrap up every episode with getting the biggest piece of advice from uh, that you would like to give to the acapella community either to one specific person if you want to the whole community yeah. to just directors whole middle school directors everyone uh, whole yeah. community here um, you go yeah what is it hit us so. When people are getting ready for a sporting event, the, the coaches are yelling at them like the game, everything matters. It's all on the line. You got to give it hundred percent. And in the in the end, it never matters who wins a sporting event. Like the balance of power in the universe doesn't change. Um, but people put their all into it. However, when people walk up on stage to sing, often they're thinking nobody's paying attention to me. It doesn't matter. I'm in the third row in the choir. Or like or there aren't many people in the audience, and they don't give it their all except. Through music, we have the ability to change people's lives and often do when we least expect it. There could be a 13-year-old out in the audience who's being bullied. There could be an empty nester who is now living alone and feels disconnected from their community. There could be a person who's looking up at you on the stage and, and feeling like you are them. And we've seen the incredible transformation that happens in people's lives when they decide to join a group, when they decide to sing. So... You have the ability to change a life. That 13-year-old, if she joins choir, 
She'll be bullied less, have a built-in group of friends. She'll do better in school. She'll stay in school longer, which has lifelong outcomes. The amount of money that she made, she make a million dollars more during the course of her life because of the, the, the vast ricochet of positive effects that comes from deciding to have vocal music in her life. And so remember every time you get on stage that you're up there and that you can change a life. Very well nice. said. I like I've it. always, I've always said, I'll say it again, Brian, uh, that I want to take all the pieces of advice we've had from each guest and just get them tattooed on my back. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just get that one. That won't be weird, right? If you do it, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to come and watch you. Do oh, it, okay. Right? I thought, like, well, I thought we could no. get, I could get half, and you could get half. So then, like, when we stand next to each other, back to back, shirtless, then then people can read the whole quote. Run yeah, it by I'm your wife, no. and then let's okay. get let's touch back on this later. I think this is really okay. something important. I'll, I'll, I'll bring it up to her, but I'm pretty sure I know what her answer is going to be. But yeah, like, I'll bring it up to her. Yes, <laughs> Deke. Uh, anything you want to plug? If people want to get a hold, if people want to buy your arrangements, if people want to just oh, yeah. like just plug everything you ever wanted to plug. All right. Well, you can find me DeekSharon.com. Anywhere you can find me online, just Deke Sharon, and you can. Email me with questions. You can get in touch if you're starting a group, if you're in a new city and you want to find a group, all that kind of stuff I'm happy to help with. Be sure to check out D Capella. They're out there. And there's a lot of great stuff coming for next year. Plus, I started a new tour. It's called Acapella Live. Yes. It's going to be mm-hmm. Committed, the Philharmonic, Blake Lewis from, um, from American awesome. Idol doing live looping, yeah. and Women of the World. It's an unbelievable four-act touring show that's covering... America for the first four months of the year. So definitely look online for them and check them out. That's going to be a great thing. Um, yeah. And the rest of the stuff I'll share via, via social media. I'll have too many notes, more of those coming out and um, get some more arrangements out there. And we've got a new book uh, about uh, repertoire, you know, the, the standards of acapella as it were that I'm doing with Mark Silverberg and JD Frizzell with a whole bunch of different, uh, luminaries in the acapella community who've all taken classic arrangements and written up three, four page little oh, summaries cool. of them so that people are able to look at this and use it as a teaching guide in um, educational circles. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure there's more stuff. That's just <laughs> off the top of my head. Well said. Deke, thank you so much for literally gracing us with your presence, coming on yes. episode 100 and just blowing our minds and helping us put them back together and just giving us so much insight and understanding and sharing that with the listeners. I mean, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for being our 100th guest on Tacapella. Ah, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, John. And congratulations, John. This is, this is your uh, swan song. Is this it not? is my swan yeah. song. You know, I'm a, I'm a middle school choir teacher now and, and I'm starting a new phase of my life. Uh, I also have another podcast that I'm also wrapping up. So this is, this is the last one for me. And I just want to say thank you to, thank you, Aaron. Um, who's in the next room over. Uh, thank you to Brian. Thank you to Amanda Corneglia, Lisa Hawkins, Aaron McCallow, uh, Amanda Tran, all of our guests who have been here before, Michael Wingate. Um, you know, I don't want to go on too long, but this has been one of the most satisfying and personally affecting creative opportunities of my life. And to get to wrap it up here, um, just because it's the right time, uh, is just a ridiculous privilege that I'm I'm not going to forget. So, Thanks, Brian, for being my my partner throughout this. Thanks, Deke, for for being here to to send me off onto my Viking funeral into uh, Lake Oswego <laughs> here. And um, thank you to the listeners who have been here since I started this thing. Uh, you know, back in January of uh, what do you call it of 2016. And I'm I'm not going to forget this because I got 
99, not 100, but 99 episodes of, because I lost one to, uh, to look back It'll on. It'll always be 100. It'll, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Brian, do you want to give a second to give people a little update on uh, the future of the show? Yes. Yeah, so although John is, you know, moving on, boo, um, <laughs> you know, we honestly want to say thanks, John, man. Thanks for being the heart of the oh, show, for you. getting this off the ground, for, you know, giving people a source to talk about, you know, the things that we love, you know, just like we've hinted at so much and talked about with Deke about this whole community. This is another extension of the community that, you know, the acapella community definitely needed. So, Thanks for getting all this off Thanks, the ground. Man. You know, you're going to be missed and, you know, we're going to be in touch and going to be on Twitter and spoiling shows and finales and, uh, and, for you, and, and Oh, always. God, don't spoil any more shows for me. And Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, <laughs> and you're going to be using my Disney Plus password, so I can't really do anything. Uh, do you want to tell them yeah. a little bit about uh, what's coming down the pike for uh, for Tacapella? Yeah, so with that, we will actually continue Tacapella. Uh, Tacapella will continue on. Uh, I'm going to still be here. We're going to roll out some more episodes coming at you in 2020. Uh, more information on that as the details are kind of solidified. So be on the lookout for more Tacapella. And yeah, we'll see where things go from there. All right, everyone. Dake, thank you again. Just last, I'm going to say it over and over, but thank you so much. My pleasure. And for everything Acapella people, please stay tuned.